So good morning. Um, I'm Nathan. If uh, you have not met me before, um, I lead the team that lead the church leads the team that lead the church here, and it's a great privilege to come and share with you this morning. We've been doing a series on um, seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. I'm actually going to go off that and do a, something else, which I just felt God lead me to this morning. So I want you to imagine this morning uh, a Roman triumphal procession, a lavish victory parade, that you're part of this spectacle, a once-in-a-lifetime spectacle. It's a, a procession going through the streets, of the, going towards the city of Rome. It's basically happened because a general has conquered some land. He's led a campaign and he's conquered a significant territory. Leading the theatrical procession of the trumpeteers and the musicians, heralding a fanfare, followed by large wheeled carts holding paintings on models of the new captured land. So it's a bit like a, a, bit like a, a carnival, Notting Hill Carnival. Or in fact, recently I was just reminded that we were part of a small carnival in Black Cherry Fair where we won. I don't know if this was acknowledged. We won Best Club Charity Float. Wow. I, don't, I, I have heard it was a one-horse race, but, I'll, but well done anyway. So that was our, our uh, toddler group that won that earlier in the year. So back to the procession. So behind these... Uh, these um, chariots and the carts holding paintings and models of the new captured land. There might be some animals, unusual animals, exotic animals that uh, they've they brought from the land that they're showing off to people that maybe not so well travelled and not so educated, like elephants and giraffes. And then behind that, some of the booty, some of the things that they won and captured, some of the the coins, the treasure, the golden furniture, the spoils of war that they've caught and, uh, and now they're parading it along. And then behind these, these carts are some prisoners of war, the, uh, the chained princes or maybe uh, governors or even kings chained coming behind these carts. And behind them, there's an aroma from the priests swinging their censers as they uh, spread abroad this smell of uh, fragrance around the whole street. As an, also, as they're going along the street, the temples might be burning uh, incense on their altars as well. So there'll be smell filling the air. And then behind this train is the victorious general riding in a chariot, a horse-drawn chariot. And then behind him is his family coming, riding on horses. And then behind them is the conquering army coming behind. Now, if you're finding it difficult to imagine this triumph, maybe consider something different, a bit more recent. Maybe imagine at the Olympics, someone wins gold and uh, they... After winning the race, 
they run over to the stadium and they pluck their child from the stadium. They carry them and they do a lap of honour. So this is the picture I want to paint for you. Because we are somewhere in these two pictures. And I want you to know with great assurance where you are within these pictures. So let me read our scripture today from 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. Actually, I might read a verse before as well. No, actually, I'll read that later. So 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphant, triumphal procession, And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to other a fragrance from life to life. So I want to share this morning how we can live this life of victory. And uh, I just think from these, these few verses we can just pull out some things which will be helpful to us. So the context of this uh, passage, of this verse, is Paul has, after recently planting a church in, Corinthian, in, Corinth, in Corinth, he's, um, he's just encountered some trouble with them. That, that some of the local Christians are, have been listening to some other people's version of Jesus and the gospel, and, they, and they've been pulled away, and he's trying to kind of correct them. And he actually sends a, uh, a letter to them through a friend, Titus, and uh, he's just following up on that letter. So he's going to visit them again. And let me just read from uh, verse 12. It says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open to me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So that precedes the verse I just read. So the context is he's, he sent this letter via his friend Titus and he arrives, but his friend isn't there and the church is still in a bit of a state. But his first response is this, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. And there's been some debate about among scholars about whether this this sudden gear change is maybe a later insert in the scriptures. And I don't feel easy about that. I feel this is ordained by God, that in the midst of him and his spirit not feeling at rest, he can have a gear change and say, but thanks be to God. And this is where our victory actually lies often. In the midst of real heartache and pain, we lift our eyes and we praise and we give glory to God. We can triumph over our frailties once we recognize the richness of the gospel, receiving his grace to overcome all our weakness. I do believe at the heart of victory is through thankfulness. Even though Paul had difficulty keeping his mind on his ministry, and some of you may be very distracted, he was able to continue because he knew that God alone 
had ultimately won the battle. Even though there's some skirmishes now, God has won the victory and he's bigger than all of these current things that he's facing. So I encourage you firstly to give thanks to God. Align your hearts and minds to thankfulness and gratitude, always. Because we know that the joy of our Lord is our strength. And I think when we start focusing on what we have, we become joyful, don't we? We become thankful and joyful. And that's where our strength is, in that joy. So that's the first thing. Secondly, how do we live this life of victory? It's in Christ, isn't it? So it says, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession? In Christ. Where's my victory? Where's your victory? It has to always be and land in Christ. Beware if it comes from anywhere else. It's a, it's a counterfeit. In Corinthians 3, 4, it says, Such is the confidence that we have where through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Our confidence must come from God. Our victory cannot come from anywhere else. If we're trying to overcome sin in any other way, it's powerless. It has to come through him, through Jesus, through his blood, through his sweat, through his tears, not through your blood, sweat and tears. True victory comes through Jesus. It's, it's a miracle every time, actually. And if it isn't a miracle, it's not true victory. It's a miracle that comes through the grace and the power of God. The main thing we need to do in realising it's it's only in Jesus, is die. It's die of ourselves. Our pride will tell us that we're adding something to this battle. But in truth, we add nothing. It all comes through him. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory where through our Lord Jesus Christ. So thirdly, we need to allow him to lead. Now the thing is with leading, um, you need to follow. You need to have some followers. Someone said something like, if you haven't got any followers and you're a leader, you're just going for a walk in the park or something like that. You're not leading. And we need to allow him to lead. It says here, he always leads us. So in this picture of this procession, Paul would have been drawing on the familiar image that people have had of a Roman triumphal procession, but illustrating that Jesus is leading us as the victorious general. I love the fact that in this procession, historically apparently, the family are right behind the victorious general. Are you right behind? Are you tucked in behind the victorious general? There's no other place to be. Now, I'm not saying that you need to make everything in your life a triumph and a victory. There are things in this life which are not triumphs and victories. Sin in your life is not a triumph. We live in a broken world, don't we? And 
there's things which do come and war against us. You know, the persecution that comes to us is not a triumph. These are battles along the way. But we do need to hold in balance with this, the eternal reality that the war is won. And we are being led home to victory. Now, if you imagine if you were on some sort of parade, um, I'd imagine if you're caught up in this big spectacle, if you were a soldier and you were coming along in this spectacle, if you got tripped up by someone else, or if you tripped your own self up, or something happened, I'd imagine you would quickly jump to your feet and rejoin the procession and rejoin who you're following and wouldn't want to get dropped behind. And this is my encouragement to you. Remember that God always leads you out in triumphant procession. He always. This is your position. This is your place, your status. You are in this procession of triumphant victory. So if things do come and swipe you, sideswipe you, if through your own sin you trip yourself up, don't let these little slip-ups cause you to forget what you are in. You are in a victory procession, okay? Remember the truth, the greater reality that you're, you are his family tucked in behind the victorious general living in the wake of his glory. So fourthly, what are we in? We're in a triumphal procession, which I've just said. You need to know the victory is yours. In Colossians 2.15 it says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame by triumphing over them in him. We need to live a life of victory. We need to understand that we do not walk with our heads down, shameful. His victory is our victory. We're not victims, we're victors. We are riding on white horses behind him proudly. Like the child that was scooped up from the, the stadium. We're riding in his victory. We're being carried in his victory. This is our position. That child had nothing to do with winning the race. Nothing to do with it. But still, he enjoys or she enjoys the victory of his father's um, winning. Now, Paul was quite downcast, wasn't he, in this passage where I said he, he said, well, the verses it says, he's, um, my spirit was not at ease, or it could be said that he still had no peace of mind. And we can have stages in life where we do feel downcast, and we feel attacked, and we feel like a victim. Paul had every reason to feel like a victim, didn't he? He was imprisoned gone through shipwrecks he had a thorn in his side possibly the, the thorn in his side were these people that were antagonizing him and you know disrupting what the, the good news that he was bringing to the people and I know I can be like Paul and feel like a victim sometimes you can have that is it POM syndrome poor old me poor old me feeling sorry for myself I need to remind myself to stop looking at myself and start looking to the one who's leading me. 
Who's in front of me leading me in victory? When you realise you're in a triumphant procession, your own challenges do become less significant. Now, to help with this tension, because it is a very real tension that we live in the body, but um, we do have a future glory as well. And I I just reminded of the verses in 2 Corinthians 4-7, that we have this treasure in jars of clay. Yeah, we've got a jar of clay here. Oh, I'll just put that there. So here's the jar of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We need to remind ourselves and each other of the treasure we carry and not keep looking to this earthen vessel. If I keep looking to this, I will be disappointed. I'll be let down. It's, it's susceptible to being broken. I was going to try and break it, but I actually tried earlier, and I think it's probably a little bit too, bit too thick. It's not breaking. I didn't want to send shards of pottery into the front row. It's eyes. <laughs> I'll try a little bit harder. It could break, but I won't swing at it. So we are earthen vessels, but the truth is, what I want you to do is not look to this, not look to your frail bodies, not look to your frail circumstances, not look to the broken world. You will be disappointed every time. Look to the treasure within. Look to the treasure within. Focus your eyes on the treasure within, the light within. I don't know if you can see that. Can you see that? We need to always orientate, skew to the treasure. Quickly do it. Because in doing that, we're showing the surpassing power that belongs to God. As soon as we start to look to ourselves, other people will start to look to ourselves. As soon as you start talking about your problems, everyone will be absorbed by your problems. Tell, about, tell people about your hope that goes beyond your issues and your current circumstances. Tell them about the treasure. Focus on the treasure that is within you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, holding this uh, tension between disappointment and tragedy and triumph and victory is so important. But I just sincerely encourage you to always lean in to the treasure. Now, when um, World War II was declared over and the battle was won, there were still some local battles going on. And it's the same with us. Our victory in Christ is secure. The war is finished, but there's still some local battles and skirmishes going on. And it is very real. And, but I want to assure you that the devil is actually very fearful of the treasure that is within you. He's very fearful of the, of the Lord Jesus within you. And so you have nothing to fear. Now the battles that we have are vast and many. And um, they're from the flesh, they're from others, they're from this world. And they're from the devil. And I want you to be so aware of them. Um, I don't want to minimise them. I want you to be ready. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but one of the things that I felt in this and to encourage you is I heard a phrase recently about radical discipleship. 
it does require radical discipleship from each one of us. And that consists of two things, resistance and engagement. And uh, I, th- I think it's helpfully summed up in James 4, 7, where it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then the next verse, draw near to God. Resistance and engagement. Resist the devil. You do need to do that. You do need to be ruthless against sin, against the things that war against you. Resist the devil. Stand strong. And he will flee from you. And then engagement. Engage with God. Don't let it be a vacuum. Engage with God. Draw close to him. And you know he draws close to you. So fifthly, whipping the aroma of Christ. This is how we bring victory. Through us spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So to the prisoners of war in this procession, the, the, the fragrance of the burning incense that's wafting down the streets would have meant for them and reminded them that their death is impending. Their execution is around the corner. But to the followers who came in behind Jesus, who came in behind the victorious general, it was victory and life. So the fragrance mentioned here it could have, because of burning incense, that's obviously often signifying the prayers of God's people. In Psalm 141, too, it says, May my prayer be set before you like incense. But also, it can re- refer to the aroma of a sacrifice given up to God. And I think this is probably closer to what it actually means here. So it could have represented Paul's sacrifice to God it could have represented Jesus's ultimate sacrifice to God on our behalf but it also catches us up also in our sacrifice as we lay down our lives to God as a living sacrifice so whether it's to do with the prayers of the saints or our sacrifice it signifies our relationship and our devotion to God, how much we are connected and laying down our lives to him. This fragrance, which is the aroma of Christ to God, it should waft over people like a strong perfume. And it's the message of the gospel, isn't it? It's what we live, and it should be a sweet aroma, either giving life to people if they're open to the gospel, or to those who reject it, it means death and judgment. I had some perfume bottles, actually. I, can't, I don't know if you can buy these. I hope none of you are wearing any of these. Or maybe the one on the right. It's, um, so it's a perfume of death or life. The fragrance which comes from knowing him. The fragrance which comes from knowing him suggests that it's a personal relationship with the Lord that gives off this fragrant odour to those around. It's a sweet-smelling perfume that permeates the world through us sharing the good news. Acceptance of the gospel ultimately results in life, while rejection concludes in death. 
It's a deadly odour or a life-giving fragrance. Uh, an IVB commentary explains the line, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other from life to life like this. The gospel causes either death or life to come, to become increasingly more rooted in the hearer. To those who are on the road to destruction, the gospel is like a noxious fume that relentlessly carries the unwary to their death. To those on the road to salvation, it's comparable to a compelling fragrance that invigorates all who come into contact with it. So I want to ask, how are we presenting the gospel to people? How are we presenting Christ to people in us? Jim Elliot said this, he in fact prayed it, he said, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a, a milepost or a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. When we have intimate, deep relationship with Jesus, people need to see that. This, this needs to be a, a crucial crux moment. This needs to make all the difference. This needs to be a scent of life or death. The, the gospel isn't wishy-washy. It doesn't sit on the fence. It, it confronts our deepest need. <clears throat> One of the things I actually like about this thing, about it being a fragrance of the knowledge of him, is because God wants to arrest all of our senses. The verses in Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. And it's a bit confusing for us, isn't it, that why he would use these different senses and for me, it's just helpful because it's not just about knowing facts about someone and then passing on a textbook to someone and saying, follow this. It's not about facts about our Lord Jesus. It's about knowing someone personally, intimately, as your deepest friend. And then as people come to meet you and brush up against you, they experience the grace, the love, the hope that Jesus brings in you. I get some good uh, man hugs, actually, from people in the church. I get some good ones from uh, Johan. He gives a good man hug. Uh, Felix gives a good man hug. But these two particularly, when I hug them, not just the church, wherever, they're... Um, their fragrance is left to me. I don't know. They, they particularly wear very strong aftershave. And um, I, I walk away and I'm left smelling a little bit like Felix or a little bit like Johan. That's a good thing. It's a good smell. And it's something like that. When you are intimate with your Lord Jesus, when you come up close, when you spend time in his presence, God wants to change you. He wants to change you. He wants you to go away different, that you would... Pass that fragrance on to someone else. The fragrance of the knowledge of him. So um, as we close, I would like to just... There's some different things that how I think we might want to respond. Um, firstly, you may be here and you feel very captive to sin. You may feel 
that in this procession, you are not following Jesus. You're walking in front of the general. You're doing your own thing. You're actually in chains with the fear of death looming over you. Maybe you're just battling for victory over sin through your own efforts. For you, your response must be to turn. To turn. That's what repentance is. To turn around by faith. Repent and follow Jesus. Follow in his life, in his death and his victory. So that may be the first one. I used... Are you captive to sin in your life? Secondly, are you spectating from the roadside, cheering along, agreeing, thinking you're part of the victory just by association? Maybe you've been coming along to this church for some time. Maybe you know some people here. I felt actually for you, God would just like to say to you, don't, don't be an observer anymore. You can't be saved by association You need to come and know Jesus personally. Let the fragrance of the life from knowing Jesus draw you closer now. Maybe you are assured that you are part of his family. You're adopted. You're his children following in behind him. As I've spoken, you've just been encouraged by that picture. Continue to remember your position at every moment of life. Remember your position. Remember who won the victory, who you're following. Remember his triumphant procession, this victory lap. His victory is yours. Finally, there may be some here relate to Paul and you just feel your spirit is not at rest circumstances have pressed in and your spirit is not at rest what did Paul do? he turned to praise like him why don't you have a gear change it takes an act of faith actually to do that a faith and will to take a different course, that you're no longer going to look to your circumstances and let them shape you. There's that line about not allowing circumstances to determine your stance. I encourage you to start with, but thanks be to God. And then fill in the gap and start reeling off the things that you can give praise to God for.